Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. All righty. Amen. Well, good morning, you guys. I hope your weekend um, has, has been wonderful so far. We've had some decent weather, right? A little bit of rain in there. Our tomatoes down at the Fresh Start Farm were happy, and some of them were laid over like this, but most of them were happy. Um, and our squash is going crazy, and our okra is coming up, so we're happy down there. Um, I have an exciting thing to celebrate, and I think I did this last year, so I'm stealing the spotlight again to tell you guys that Maddie and I tomorrow celebrate our two-year anniversary. It's looking good, fellas. It's looking good. It's looking like I got her. It's looking good. Um, and I was thinking yesterday about some memories that, that we have, and um, one of the things that we've always gathered around is dominoes. And we like this one particular game called Mexican Train. There's other ways you can call it, but we love that game. But Maddie and I aren't allowed to play that game together. <laughs> we learned that about a year in, because we know that if I'm sitting next to Maddie and I make certain moves that impact Maddie, she takes it really personally. Like... Like, really personally, okay? And so we know that we can't play that game together anymore. It leads to disputes in our marriage, and our marriage is worth far more than a set of dominoes, okay? Um, and the funny thing is we play with a lot of our friends. We play with family. Uh, it's become a thing that we look forward to whenever we go on vacations with her family. Um, but dominoes is a fun game because everybody has a, a common goal. They want to win. They want to get rid of all their dominoes in this particular um, variation of dominoes. But... Everybody has a different approach, and the reality is most of it's just luck. You know, you draw the right bones out of the boneyard, but everybody thinks their way is the best way to do it, right? I, I have a best friend named Ahmad who, who swears he can count and calculate who's got what domino in his head, and if you knew Ahmad, this would make sense to you. He thinks he knows everything. In fact, I think God put him in my life to let me know I don't know everything, and there's people out there that think that they do. You know those friends that you're like, oh my gosh, is that what I'm like? Um, but Ahmad has become a good friend of mine, and he's, he's so difficult to play dominoes with. Every time it leads to an argument, most of the time between him and Maddie, because he loves to get under Maddie's skin, what's a best friend for, right? But I say this to say there's, there's a lot of things in this world that have commonalities, right, that all of us have a common goal toward, but different approaches and perspectives on how we achieve that common goal. And today what we're going to talk about a little bit is how the church is no different than that. The church, as we meet together, has a common goal. Us as a collective body, we have a common goal. But churches take different approaches at achieving that common goal. And what often happens if we're not careful is we get caught up on saying our approach is better than your approach, is better than your approach, and better than their approach. And disputes happen. And division comes. And in our last sermon in the book of Romans, we're going to talk about how Paul was writing to the church in Rome about harmony and what harmony means for God's church. And so to set it up a little bit, we're in Romans 13, and we're going to go 13 to 16. I promise I'm not going to read that whole thing, although there's some mornings I come up here and I read a lot of scripture. I'm going to jump around a little bit today. Hopefully everybody will stay awake with me. Um, Romans 
or the church in Rome was experiencing a lot of church difficulty. Um, Paul is writing with an obvious intent to encourage and to give structural criticism, if you will, to the believers that are in Rome. He knows that their job in Rome is important to be God's church. And so he writes, and he's writing to the Jews and to the Gentile believers that are members of that church. And he's also writing to them about theology. Why do we worship God? Who is God? That's a lot of what we studied thus far up to chapter 12. And then he starts to write to them about how they're supposed to be God's church in Rome. So what does it look like for the church to interact with the world around it? And then also, how do believers interact with one another? Because he's writing to Jew and Gentile believers. Now, for those of you that might not have as much of an Old Testament background, that's a big deal for Jews and Gentiles to be worshiping under the same roof, the same God, because the practice of that worship beforehand looked totally different. And at this point, a lot of those customs are still being practiced. And so he gives them this sort of outward view, and that's Romans 13, 1 through 7. Now, some of you may have uh, been to churches where they did a sermon on Romans 1 through 7, 13, 1 through 7. It's about how the church interacts with the local government. It's a great area to study. That is not the subject of our sermon today. I have a great resource that I can give you if you want to listen to a great sermon on that. It's a guy named Albert Moeller. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kentucky. Awesome guy, very knowledgeable, and he does a wonderful job talking about it. I listened to it while I was prepping, seeing, praying about whether or not I needed to pre- preach on it. God has led me toward the, the latter end of that Romans area, which is about harmony and unity. And so if you want that resource, let me know. I'll give it to you. Because then Paul shifts from an outward concern, how does the church interact with the world around it, to an inward concern. How do believers interact between believers? And that's where I want to turn our attention and our focus today. Before I do that, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into Romans 13, 8 through 10. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for today and for your word. We thank you for your truth and your promises that Jesus came and he lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross for each one of us, bore our transgressions in that death, spent three days in the grave, and then rose again, conquering that death, Lord, so that we can know eternal life comes through him alone. And we thank you for the opportunity to respond to that, that each one of us in here can take part in that death, dying to ourselves daily, Lord, and glorifying you with our new life. And Lord, for those that don't know you and don't understand that great sacrifice that you made on our behalf, Lord, we ask that you would open their hearts that you would knock down the walls that are there from the world and from their own flesh, Lord, and give them that, that eternal love that only you can offer, Lord, that fulfillment that only you can offer. God, fill us all up with your spirit today as we learn about you and, and let us know you deeper. In your name we pray. Amen. Romans 13, 8 through 10. I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen behind me, so if you have your Bible and you want to pick up um, with me, go ahead and flip there. I'm going to hope mine stays open. There we go. Romans 13, starting in verse 8, says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet, 
These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. You guys keep in mind what I said just a second ago that Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles here. Jews were the traditional body of Christ. They began the church that God had envisioned and that God set forth to accomplish his mission. And so the Jewish custom is found in the Old Testament where certain sacrifices and practices were done and certain people were in positions in order to um, authenticate, if you will, those practices before God so that God's people could go before him. And this law and these commandments, the Ten Commandments that you guys are familiar with, were given in order to help the believing community fulfill the call that God placed on their life. And Paul here in Romans says something that I believe would have stepped on some toes. Paul takes it and says that he uses Jesus' words and God's words to summarize the intent behind the commandments. And he says that the trick is to love your neighbor as yourself. So I got to thinking, surely it's not that simple, Paul. So I looked back and I looked at the, the commandments that he referenced. It says, you must not commit adultery. Okay, so if adultery is, okay, yeah, I could see how that would impact your neighbor if you were to commit adultery. Let's see. Uh, you must not murder. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. You must not steal. Okay, if you're stealing, you're taking from somebody, that does impact your, you must not cut. Okay, maybe Paul's onto something here. Is it really that simple to make your intent to love your neighbor as yourself? And does that love help you to avoid sin? And I think it does. I think the difficulty is that we have a hard time loving our neighbor as ourselves. I didn't have this in my notes, but I heard one time somebody describe to me like, if you were sick and you knew you were sick, and you knew that if you went to the doctor, they would help you get the things that you needed in order to get better. You would do it. If you know your neighbor is sick. And you know that if they go to the doctor and they will get things that will make them feel better. To love your neighbor as yourself is to help your neighbor find that same opportunity to go and get better. It's that concern for yourself whenever you're not well, that we should have for our neighbor when they're not well. It's that celebration for yourself when you're doing well that we should have for our neighbor when they're doing well. And so to love our neighbor as ourself is a sacrificial love, and it fulfills the commandments of God's law. That, those words carry so much weight to the Jewish community because that reminds them of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And so they're given some direction on how to be God's community. And this, this direction is foundational to the rest of what Paul talks about. We're going to flip over into, into chapter 14. Chapter 14, Paul starts on this, this little bit of a tangent almost. And I mean, I, I mean tangent because he says the same thing like four times in four different ways. <laughs> and not even really in different ways. He, he almost just says it and then he says it again. And then he says it again, and he says it again. And so I was reading it, and I was like, well, that must be important. He says it four times in a letter. So he, wrote, he literally wrote it four times to these people. And then at the end of it, he says, I know you already know this. I'm like, okay, Paul, did you really know that? You said it four times. So we're going to look at what he said so many times. And it's, 
a detail that we're given on some of the issues that are taking place in this church. And church, let me make something clear. There, there are some things in Scripture that are so contextual, meaning that they, they sit where they sit because they happen in that point in history, in that time, in that setting, and we need to leave them in that setting. But there's many things in Scripture that God uses, although they are contextual. They happen in a specific time to a specific group of people in a specific body that apply to us today and we can learn from and use as a guideline as we go and try to grow God's kingdom. And I believe that this letter to, Roman, to, to Rome in the book of Romans is meant to help us know what it means to be God's community today. And so Paul goes into this conversation and he writes about how we're to accept weaker believers. And what he means, and I believe he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, to let them know that their customs should not separate their intent. Their different approaches, referring back to our conversation about dominoes, their different approaches toward the common goal should not separate them so that they can't achieve their common goal. He says, some of you eat this, some of you don't eat this. Those that don't eat this do it because they believe they don't have to. Those that do eat this believe that they can. Regardless of what you believe, believe it with your heart and be knowledgeable of what your neighbor believes so that you don't make your neighbor stumble by what you eat and what you don't eat. Some of you worship on a specific day and others of you think all the days are the same. So whenever you're going to worship, believe it and be convicted of it, but know that your neighbor might worship on a different day than you. Don't let it divide your intent. I remember I was uh, at the beach with my friend one time and we went to his home church and we'd stayed up late the night before. We were in college, so I'm sure we were doing something innocent and we woke up late to church and so we had to scramble real quick. I threw my hat on, got out the door and we went to his church. I walked into that church, I stood like this and I get a tap on my shoulder. Take your hat off in church, son. And I was like, I looked at my buddy Ben and he was like, and I said, oh, okay, and took my hat off. Never in my life had I been in a church where I was required to take my hat off. So it was new to me. Now, many of you are familiar with that, but the point was that there was a different approach, certain standards that were present there when they were approaching God and God's mission. Now, if you have a hat on today, don't take it off. It's a safe place. Everybody just looked at Christian. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. Uh, uh, he gets a VIP pass. He's the pastor's son, but anyway. Um, Seriously, there's, there's many different ways that church happens throughout the week. I mean, you guys know that. But the common goal should always be the same. And so Romans 14, 13 through 23 is a little uh, a section of chapter 14 that I want to read because it really helps to put, you know, God's words into um, perspective on what this means. So listen to this. Chapter, uh, verse 13 of chapter 14. So, let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it's wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. 
then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. This wording that Paul uses here takes our eyes off of the action and onto our neighbor. And that's an important shift. Because up to this point, believing in the Roman community for the church was a, it was a practice the Christians lived differently. They did different things. They gathered on certain days. They took certain meals together. They had these things called love meetings where they just fellowshiped with one another. And that was a common way to identify a church gathering as Christians. But Paul isn't emphasizing the action anymore. He's emphasizing their concern for one another. And I think in a similar way, church, we've got to start shifting our eyes as God's church. I'm not blind to what's been going on in this world, especially this past week. We've had some incredible things happening in our nation. And we shouldn't be blind to those. But we should be aware that only by harmony in God's church can this world know God's love. Only by us being united in our cause together. Think about it. If you come to me and you say, hey, you should come to church with me on Sunday, and I've seen a couple of church members arguing with each other in the street the week before, well, I don't want to be a part of that. Y'all are just like me. There's nothing attractive there for me. But if I see two people that for no good reason would be friends, being friends, that's the beauty of the diversity of God's church. We could go across the globe today and find a Christian and know that inherently in our hearts we serve the same God. How beautiful is that? That harmony, that unity has to be so evident that it's attractive to the world around us. It's not about the lights. Trust me, you're not going to come here and hear the most revolutionary message of your life. It's Paul and Garrett, okay? Uh, you're not going to get the greatest worship band. Sometimes we get YouTube. Our worship band's great now, but it's not the things. It's the God. And that God that we serve is so worthy of harmony being before him. And so as we go and we try to get people to join this cause and to know the love of Christ, we have to be an example. And the reason is because Christ was. And Paul brings this up. Paul in, in chapter 15 says, we who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. 
As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And this is important. Paul writes, and he says in in, in verse 5 of chapter 15, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. What an important charge. What, what a great way to, to write the church. I mean, if I was writing that, I'd be like, take that challenge, church. But Paul's lived this. He's shown this, and he's not, even, he's not even using himself as an example, which he does sometimes. Instead, he says, Christ did this. Christ came, and he lived a perfect life, and he didn't do it for himself. He did it for you. He did it for me. And so we're meant to be concerned for our neighbor the way that Christ was concerned for us. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Why? So that God will be given the glory. What a wonderful mission, church. I want you guys to know that that harmony, if there's one thing you take away, is evidence to the world that Christ's church is indeed Christ's. If we're not harmonized, if if that's the right word to use, I always mess a word up when I preach. If we're not in harmony with one another, the world has nothing attractive to look forward to. They don't see Christ's evidence in us. And so then Paul goes into this like personal aside and he's doing his closing kind of discussion. He's writing and he's saying, tell my friends I said hello. And he names all of his friends and all of a sudden, he's like walking off the stage. And Maddie and I went to the movies this, this weekend, and it's almost like this was the credits going on the screen. And then that scene comes back, that, post, that post-credit scene comes on the screen. Everybody's like, wait, 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 there's more. That's exactly what happened. It's like the lights came back on, and Paul's still standing there. And he's like, hey, one more thing. So this is important, folks. He was, he was closing, and now he's saying, one more thing. I want you to flip over to Romans 16, verse 17. Okay, we've been talking about harmony. He gives a a whole section on how to be uh, in harmony with one another and to be concerned for your neighbor. In verse 17, he says, And now I make one more appeal. My dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I love verse 20 because it's like the God of peace will crush Satan. Like Peace, crush Satan. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, But 
how important can it be that he's, he's closing his, his letter? I mean, he's written the whole letter of Romans to these guys, and he's closing it, and then he said, hey, one more thing. Beware of division. What a great counter to what he just said about harmony. This is how you be in harmony with one another. Hey, but by the way, be careful. There are people that want to confuse you and teach you false teaching and theology to lead you astray from the flock, to isolate you so they can attack you. There's all kinds of approaches. These people are out there to deceive. But let it be known, let it be evident, he says in 19, but everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. So church, our best self-defense from division is harmony and obedience to God. There's no trick. There's no test that you're going to take whenever you walk in the door so we can make sure you're safe to have around other people. You know, there's not a little pop quiz. Hey, what do you know? Oh, I don't know about that. Might want to go down the street. There's not that. Instead, we as a community of believers are meant to be actively like Christ in our harmony with one another. And that division has no place there. We'll watch each other's blind sides, blind spots. Blind sides? We'll watch each other's back. We'll be together in our efforts. And that's a great opportunity. And so as I close, I want to give you three little things that we can do in order to seek harmony as a church. And the first is to seek fellowship together. When you go out of this space, how can you spend time with other people in God's church, whether here or around the community, in order to build harmony with one another? I was sitting the other day, and I was, ta- I was thinking about our small group, and I said, man, I want to go deeper with these people. And these are some of my best friends. How can you go deeper with the people that God has placed in your life? How can your burdens be their burdens and their burdens be your burdens? How can you share in life together so that the world around you can see harmony? The second is to pray for opportunities. This is something that Richard has been pushing Paul and I on every single day for the past few weeks. How can you be in prayer that God will put somebody before you so that you can have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, but don't pray for it if you're not ready for it. So pray for that opportunity and prepare for that opportunity. Because the moment you start praying for it, what happens, Richard? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, God will put somebody there, and you don't want to be not ready. Okay? And then the last of these things is to daily remind yourself of the common goal. Daily. Preach the gospel to yourself. I don't do this enough. I know it's a lofty goal, but it's so important to spend time reminding yourself of the promise of Christ. Because if you don't know it, if you haven't told yourself those promises, you're not likely to tell somebody else about them. And so seek fellowship, seek the opportunity to share, and be ready, and remember the common goal. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we pray as your church that you would help us to be in harmony with one another. God, we know that um, as your word has just taught us, that harmony is evidence of you working here. And God, we, we believe you're working here. We see the impact that this little body can have on the community around us, God, and we give that glory to you because you're working here. And God, we thank you for that. 
we pray that we would grow deeper with one another, that we would bear each other's burdens, that we would pray for one another and find opportunities to spend time together so that we can go and tell the world around us about your love. And God, as we spend time and worship one more song, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, let your spirit loose on our hearts and that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us to, to live for you Break our hearts where we need broken and build us up where we need built up, God, because we are vessels ready to be used by you. We love you, Lord, and we lift this all up in your heavenly name.